the Pentecostal churches teach the evil is demonic and you know we're fighting the devil and so on and so the child is no longer a child they're just they're a demon it's tragic my family just me away from home because of being gay and they wanted to kill me and if they are identifiable as queer and if they've come from Uganda those two things go together because that's pretty much the only reason that you would be a refugee in Kenya from Uganda Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. Marriage equality comes to Estonia. Cameroon and the Congo ban LGBTQ TV. And queers escaping Uganda find no solace in Kenya. Those stories and more this week because you found This Way Out. Kaylin Hardman and I'm David Hunt with News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending June 24th, 2023. Estonia's lawmakers opened civil marriage to same-gendered couples this week. The 101-seat parliament amended the Family Law Act and related laws by a vote of 55 to 34 on June 20th. That makes Estonia the first Baltic nation, first Central European nation, and first former Soviet Union satellite state to enact marriage equality, the 35th marriage equality country in the world. A poll conducted earlier this year by the Center for Human Rights reported a significant change in Estonians' public support for marriage equality over the last decade, up to 53% from about 34%. However, a quarter of Estonia's 1.3 million people are ethnic Russians, and only 40% of them support the move. Prime Minister Kaya Kallas' celebratory tweet proclaimed, I'm proud of my country. We're building a society where everyone's rights are respected and people can love freely. Gay and lesbian couples can start walking down the aisle on January 1st, 2024. Married queer couples will also be able to jointly adopt children, just like married heterosexual couples. Lawmakers in the neighboring Baltic nations of Latvia and Lithuania are each considering some form of legal recognition for same-gender couples. Those proposals fall short of full marriage equality. The government of the Southern African nation of Eswatini must now allow the legal registration of an LGBTQ advocacy group. That's the unanimous ruling of the Supreme Court, ending the three-year struggle of Eswatini sexual and gender minorities. The five-judge panel's June 16th decision overturns lower courts and requires the registrar of companies to register the group as a legal nonprofit organization within 60 days. The registrar had first rejected the group's application in 2019. Their rationale was that the organization's purpose was to promote same-gender sex, which is illegal in the country. The former Swaziland is home to about 1.2 million people and is one of the world's last absolute monarchies. Pro-democracy protests have been violently quashed in the recent past. Internet access has been shut down by the government from time to time to muzzle dissent. Masuli Simulani filed the case on behalf of Eswatini sexual and gender minorities. He said in a statement, This is a monumental judgment and a constant reminder to the executive to exercise its powers with restraint 
and pay close attention to the rights and liberties of every citizen. Cameroon's National Communications Council is warning that any television broadcaster that allows positive portrayals of LGBTQ people will be severely punished. President Joseph Chibankeng Kalabubsi said that the council can suspend a media outlet for promoting values that go contrary to our cultural practices and also laws of our republic. He said that the suspension of an outlet can last from one to six months or that it can eventually be banned entirely. Foreign TV stations that carry pro-queer content will also be suspended from broadcasting in Cameroon. The June 16th announcement follows raids on at least six bars and other popular queer gathering spots in May in the central African country's capital of Yaoundé. Rights groups charged that the arrested LGBTQ suspects were tortured. Cameroon punishes private consensual adult same-gendered sex with up to five years in prison. Just a few days after the TV crackdown was announced in Cameroon, the agency responsible for regulating media outlets in the Democratic Republic of the Congo issued a similar advisory. In the words of the Superior Council for Audiovisual and Communication Media Regulatory Authority, all media that serve as a stepping stone to the shameful campaign of homosexuality and lesbianism exposes themselves to heavy penalties, according to the Washington Blade. More than 84 million people live in the Central African nation, and private consensual same-gender sex by persons 21 years of age or older is legal. However, widespread discrimination, hostility, harassment, and social exclusion keep most LGBTQ people in the DRC deeply closeted. LGBTQ pride celebrations in several far-flung locales are facing sometimes violent opposition. The Daegu Queer Cultural Festival in South Korea's fourth largest city has been held in the Central District without major incidents since 2009. On June 17th, police had to physically remove close to 500 government officials whose occupation was preventing pride organizers from setting up their festival stage and booths. Right-wing conservative Mayor Hong Joon-pyo is well known for his outspoken anti-queer views. He stood with the occupiers, claiming that the festival would illegally block roads. Police officials cited constitutional guarantees of freedom of assembly and forced the occupiers to move. At a subsequent press conference, the mayor strongly condemned them for siding with the pride organizers. Security police in Austria foiled plans for a violent attack on Vienna's LGBTQ pride parade. Three young men with Bosnian and Chechen roots said to sympathize with the Islamic State were behind the plot. A search warrant on the homes of the 14, 17, and 20-year-old suspects found weapons they had planned to use. An estimated 300,000 people enjoyed the colorful, peaceful parade on June 17th. The arrests were announced the following day. Tennessee prosecutors have indicted a Kansas man who had posted threats of violence against Nashville Pride. He went to the event's Facebook page and posted that he would make shrapnel pressure cooker bombs for this event, and that he was going to commit a mass shooting. 25-year-old Joshua Hensley is also known as Josh Echo. He's been charged with transmitting interstate threats and faces up to five years in prison and a $250,000 fine. U.S. federal judges are ruling against bans on gender-affirming health care for transgender young people. Several Republican-controlled states have enacted those laws. The nation's first such ban was in Arkansas. 
U.S. District Judge James M. Moody, Jr. struck that one down this week, writing that it unconstitutionally violated the free speech rights of health care providers as well as constitutional guarantees of due process and equal protection of the laws. His 80-page decision concluded that the state has failed to prove that its interests in the safety of Arkansas adolescents from gender transitioning procedures or the medical community's ethical decline are compelling, genuine, or even rational. State officials are likely to appeal the ruling. U.S. District Court Judge James Patrick Hanlon has issued an order stopping Indiana's law banning puberty blockers and hormone therapies for transgender youth. The order prevents the law from taking effect on July 1st. Hanlon found that the law's opponents have demonstrated some likelihood of success in their arguments that the law is unconstitutional. Federal courts have already blocked enforcement of a similar law in Alabama. Oklahoma officials agreed to not enforce their ban while opponents try to get a court to block it. Florida's ban on Medicaid payments for transgender health care violates equal protection provisions of the U.S. Constitution, according to U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle. Medicaid provides government health care assistance to lower-income families and individuals. Hinkle's scathing June 21st critique asserted, pushing individuals away from their transgender identity is not a legitimate state interest. Hinkle also ruled earlier this month that denying pediatric gender-affirming care was illegal. He said at that time, gender identity is real. Finally, the Southern Utah Drag Stars family-friendly show must go on in a St. George, Utah public park by order of the U.S. District Judge David Nuffler. City officials had refused to grant the Drag Stars a special event permit in late April. Nuffler ruled that the lawsuit against the city was likely to succeed based on constitutional free speech rights. He issued a preliminary injunction against the city that allows the performance on June 30th. St. George officials are reportedly considering an appeal. Another federal judge recently struck down Tennessee's drag show ban on similar constitutional grounds. Senior staff attorney with the ACLU Speech, Privacy, and Technology Project, Emerson Sykes, told reporters, This is a win not just for drag stars, but for all performers, the LGBTQ community, and anyone who cares about limiting government officials' authority to impose their subjective views on what's appropriate on all of us. That's News Wrap, Global Queer News with Attitude, for the week ending June 24th, 2023. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm David Hunt. Stay healthy. And I'm Kaylin Hartman. Stay safe. On to the theater, high diddly dee, an actor's life for me. A high silk hat and a silver cane, a watch of gold with a diamond chain. High diddly day, an actor's life is gay. It's great to be a celebrity, an actor's life for me. Every actor worth his salt strives to be honest and true in his portrayals on the stage or screen. Hello, this is Ian McKellen, and that's exactly what This Way Out does as well, right here on this station.
Our listeners support This Way Out in many ways. By subscribing to our e-newsletter, email us at info at thiswayout.org. And through your financial contributions to our program. More information about how you can give is online at thiswayout.org. Thank you. We are the children of the rainbow flag. We are cool children. Lives are already at risk just weeks after Uganda's new anti-homosexuality law went into effect. International health projects and non-governmental agencies have closed clinics offering HIV-AIDS prevention and treatment because those programs might violate the law's ban on promoting homosexuality. Countries, including the U.S., are considering the suspension of critical financial aid. The families of LGBTQ people are driving them from their homes, even threatening to kill them. As diplomatic pressure is being brought to bear on their government from a variety of sources, queer Ugandans are hiding out or trying to flee the country. Many are going to Kenya. However, a similar anti-LGBTQ law is in the works in Kenya, too, and those whose escape takes them there are in just as much danger as they were at home. They're organizing against discrimination, harassment, and violence in the infamous Kakuma refugee camp. This way out Sydney, Australia correspondent Barry Mackay spoke with one straight ally in Melbourne who is working to support Ugandans struggling in Kenya. I'm speaking with Australian David Aliff, a 69-year-old father of four and a grandfather of six, who became an advocate for the queer community when... During COVID lockdowns, he started an NGO called Humanity in Need, Rainbow Refugees, in his home city of Melbourne. David, firstly, what motivated you to become involved in this new program and roughly how many people are you helping? Barry, look, I got involved because of an urgent request for food. Somebody said to me on Facebook, somebody I didn't know, I got a message saying, haven't eaten for days, can you possibly send me $10 or something? Now, you get a lot of these sorts of things, as most of your listeners would agree. And so I was about to ignore that until I noticed he was a friend of a friend of mine. So I contacted my friend who then told me the backstory that the person was genuine, was a refugee, a gay refugee in Kenya and a bit of the horror of his life. And so I started supporting him. Thankfully, that guy is now in America and safe, which is wonderful. We're probably supporting, look, anything up to 100 people. We have been doing a food program in the um, Kakuma refugee camp. We've had to stop that because we ran out of money, which is tragic because there's lots of people who are missing out. The food that is given to them is is minuscule. And the UNHCR, with funding cuts, has had to cut back. And so all kinds of things don't happen, like kids can't go to school because we can't provide them with books and so on. So it's it's pretty tragic. I suppose the bigger question, Barry, is to say to you, how many people are we not helping? And that is probably the hardest thing that I do. And that's to say to people, no, I can't help you. We can't help you. We can't get the donors. Or I have requests that I just ignore. And I hate okay. doing that. But uh, yeah. okay. People have been oppressed for their sexuality for hundreds of years. 
Why did you see a difference at this time now big enough for you to respond? I, I suppose most of these things happen with, with a heart issue. And with me, it was a young man that uh, I've just talked about. And I suddenly thought to myself, what if that man was my son? Now, they're all cut off from their family. Uh, you know, fathers will try to kill their sons or their daughters when they discover that they're gay or lesbian or, or trans. And so I just thought I would hate that, you know, to happen to any of my children and that any child should be cut off from another. And I also see this as well, the world has made so much great progress, Barry, in uh, welcoming people. Um, I mean, I was a marriage celebrant, so I've done same-sex weddings and they are some of the most exciting beautiful weddings I've ever done. But when there's such progress in our developed countries, you look at Africa, which is suffering because of the hate preaching of American, Australian and European preachers who are saying how awful these wonderful people are. What do you think is driving the hatred of the LGBTIQ community in Africa? I think there's a combination of factors. One is, and for example, um, if anybody has low self-esteem, one of the ways that you deal with that is to find somebody else to put down. And we've all experienced that in the workplace. We've experienced it amongst our friends, maybe in our families. So, you know, you find an enemy and you focus on that enemy. And by putting them down and saying how horrible they are, you feel a bit better. And so what happens is when that happens, not just individually, but a whole culture is operating like that. I mean, there are many countries in Africa and other places where the leaders have pocketed away millions of dollars. It's banked in America, it's banked in Switzerland, it's banked in Australia and other places. To get people on side, the culture is already there, the hatred is already there, so they play on that for political advantage. I understand you've got some stories about children being hunted and victimised because of one of their parents being gay or lesbian. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, look, I obviously won't name names, but one story which I thought was just dreadful, and that was about a young man who, um, in those teenage years when you don't know who you are and so on, he actually had sex with a girl. She became pregnant. The family hated him because he was the wrong cast and the wrong person to be with their daughter. And so he was chased away from his village and everything, you know. And then what happened was the mother of that child raised the child and married someone else who was very happy to be the father of the child until the day came when they realised that that child was fathered by a queer person, which means that to them, that child is demonised. So can you imagine it? Love suddenly turns to hatred. The guy is happy to love the child until that very point. And then at that point, the child's life is in danger. Can I interrupt you there? You said demonized. Is this the influence of the Pentecostal churches? Absolutely. Absolutely. To a much lesser extent, some aspects of the Catholic Church. But a lot of it is the Pentecostal churches, I believe, that teach this. The evil is demonic and, you know, we're fighting the devil and so on. And so... The child is no longer a child, they're just, they're a demon. It's tragic. Now, you've been able to get some audio from one of the Ugandan refugees who has managed to escape to neighbouring Kenya, which I understand illustrates a typical scenario for many fleeing the country due to their sexual orientation. Yes, and this is a, look, he's a beautiful young man. He's 18 years old. 
he escaped Uganda, had to escape his family because they wanted to kill him because of his sexual orientation. He goes to Kenya at the age of 15, sleeps on the streets until he's able to find a place of refuge. Now he manages a small safe house and we've been supporting him for quite a while, paying rents and food and, and water and so on. But, you know, it's tragic. He's a lovely, lovely young man who shouldn't be living in this way. I escaped from my homeland, Uganda, and I flee to Kenya, but I have been suffering so much. Yeah, my family chased me away from home. They chased me out because of being gay and they wanted to kill me. Yeah, I had to look somewhere to go. Yeah, by that time I was living in the streets. Yeah, by the time came, I went to Kenya. But even here in Kenya, it's not safe at all. Yeah, since I have been in Kenya, I have been surviving through an organization, Humanity in Need, has been the one supporting me in renting and food. And I would like anyone who can support me to leave this country so that I, I get another country which I can be safe, like USA, Australia, any which, any which is safe, but not Africa. Yeah, that's my hope. Since I've been in Kenya, my life has been very, 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 very bad. You know, yeah, they kill us as we LGBT too. Yeah, they kill us. As you know, right now, Uganda, what you know, you hear what's happening in Uganda. Yeah. Humanity in Need has been working with the Kakuma refugee camp in northern Kenya. How safe are LGBTIQ people there, and how safe are they in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi? The answer is a quick one. In, in both places, they're not safe. In the camp, they're not safe because there are homophobic gangs from Sudan, from other countries, people who are refugees from war, and they definitely see queer people as demonic. And so we have horrible stories of lesbians who've been raped, you know, the old rape cure thing. And, you know, then they bear a child that they, they're suddenly not only just trying to provide for themselves, but for a child as well. The trans people suffer the worst because there are people who can't feel happy about themselves in the body that they were born in. And the only way they can feel happy is to be in some way trans. I understand that. I respect it. And I can't understand why other people can't respect that. But because they look different, they will be physically attacked. They'll be sexually attacked. They'll end up in prisons and they're ridiculed you know, for their genitalia or whatever. And this is the same in Nairobi as well. Um, if people find out that they're LGBTIQ, then the same sort of things happen. The same thing does happen in Nairobi. Uh, it is marginally safer. I mean, we have situations where people have been asked by the UNHCR, told by U the UNHCR that it's not safe for them to stay in the camp. So they go to Nairobi. They're supported by the UNHCR for three months, and then they're on their own. And some of them can get some work. 
right? But lots of them can't. And if they are identifiable as queer, and if they've come from Uganda and they are a refugee, those two things go together because that's pretty much the only reason that you would be a refugee in Kenya from Uganda. You can be in a situation where you, you might work, but you won't get paid or you'll be beaten up or whatever. And some of them have had to resort to sex work just to survive. And then all kinds of terrible things happen. We had one the other day, somebody had used Tinder and they were met by the person who killed them. Goodness. So it's a horrible story, a horrible story. And we need help. The new Ugandan law takes legal oppression a number of steps forward or backward. What's your take on this? President Biden has condemned it and threatened sanctions, yet Uganda must have known this would happen. Why is there such hatred and how does it affect the community? Well, yes, I, look, I think President Biden would have been very much aware that it was about to happen and uh, his team. I think the reason why they're doing it is political. They're trying to gain uh, brownie points with their voters, uh, particularly the homophobic voters who've been created that way through the preaching of the hate preachers. So, you know, you have an enemy that you have, you have to illustrate you're dealing with that enemy and the stronger you are in dealing with the enemy, the more people want to vote for you. They've done this several years ago. The current law they've just brought in uh, sees people, you know, victimised for renting property to someone who is queer or selling them produce or, or whatever. I mean, it's just, it is horrendous, violates every rule of the United Nations. How can our listeners help your work with LGBTIQ refugees in East Africa? We'd be grateful for help and people can help us through our website, www.h-i-n.org or Google Humanity in Need Rainbow Refugees. We're saving lives and we also want to advocate for change. We've got to see this world a better place for the Africans as well as for the rest of us. www.h-i-n.org. David Aliff, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Barry. For This Way Out, I'm Barry Mackay in Sydney, Australia. Hi, I'm Brian DeShazer, CEO of This Way Out Radio and Overnight Productions, Inc. This Way Out has been selected as one of the first-year collections for the Library of Congress National Recording Preservation Board, Radio Preservation Task Force's new program, Sound Submissions. This means This Way Out programs will be preserved for future generations. You can help preserve the future of This Way Out. Email us at info at thiswayout.org to subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thanks for finding This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. 
News Wrap was reported this week by Kaylin Hardman and David Hunt and produced by Brian Jazer. Barry Mackay reported from Sydney. Steely Dan and talented Ugandan Kuchus produced by Bravo Bryant's performed summer music you heard and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This without thanks to the Jane and Deborah Cluey Charitable Fund and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Please join them. Thanks also to the Los Angeles Cannabis Providers MMD Shops for being a This Way Out Pride partner. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email us at info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lucia Chappelle and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Greg Gordon. We thank you for listening online at thiswayout.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And on WGOT Gainesville, Florida, KTAL Las Cruces, New Mexico, 2MIA Griffith, New South Wales, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.